Uh, if you don't take your Bibles out, turn with me to the first letter of Paul to the church at Corinth. 1 Corinthians, we'll be in chapter 1 this morning. Uh, last week I was ministering on the manifestation gifts of the Spirit. And uh, we were clarifying uh, the differences between them. You break them up into three groups of three. There's nine gifts. And uh, we went through that and, and uh, tried to bring some clarity and some understanding to uh, how the manifestation gifts actually are to work uh, in the full gospel ministry and modern day uh, Christian experience. And the last thing that I asked you before we le left was how many of you would like to be used by God? And in response to that question, there were hands that went up all over the, the sanctuary. And then I asked you, well, how many of you think God wants to use you? And again, a lot of hands went up. And um, I left it at that. And as I've, been, I've been pondering on that a little bit this week um, as uh, the Lord has been directing me through uh, what I, I really believe that, that he wants me to share with you this morning. And so I'm going to ask you another question this morning. I'm not really looking for a response to the question. I just want you to, to just ponder on this and consider it yourself. How many of you think that God can and will use you in the power of the Spirit? Now, a lot of people, when they think, well, yeah, I, I think that God would like to use me, and, and I believe that God wants to use me. But to truly and honestly think that God would use you the way that he has used men and women throughout history in the power of the Spirit. Most people, honestly, deep inside, they think God would never do that with me. He wouldn't do that. God uses a lot of people, but he would never use me like that. And this is an attitude that is commonly shared among humanity throughout history. Now, there are some exceptions to that, and you've probably seen some of that. There are some people that are very prideful. They're very arrogant. They're self-absorbed. They have NPD, some people, narcissistic personality disorders, and they think they are God's gift to the world, you know. And they, they think, yeah, God will use me, and seldom does God use people like that. However, that's not the, that's not the norm, Normally, people have the concept of God would use other people, but he would not use me like that. And also, we look at each other that way. We, we try to size people up and try to, uh, try to decide who God would use and who he would not use. And we base that on all kinds of things, you know. We, we think God's going to, he's going to select the best, you know, the select people. People that's really, really intelligent. Or somebody has a, and, and I'm guilty of this, they've got a lot of education. They've been trained or they're motivated. They're high achievers. God will use those people. And we, we look for that kind of people for God to choose. But he doesn't choose people like that often. I mean, we look at the fishermen that he chose to walk with him. He had a whole crowd of Pharisees that were high achievers and very intelligent and educated, but he didn't choose many of those. He did choose some, but he didn't choose many. But as far as his disciples, he didn't choose any. He chose fishermen who were uneducated, ignorant people. We think God will choose people that are well-disciplined or they're well-groomed or they're very congenial. God often doesn't choose people like that. Even among his disciples, he chose zealots. I mean, these guys were terrorists. They were sneaky, cowardly. But yet he chose them to be his disciples. We think God will choose people that are very well-spoken and articulate. But we know from Scripture that Moses was chosen. He said, I'm a man of slow, slow tongue, God. Because he stuttered. We believe he stuttered. He had some kind of a speech impediment. But still, God chose him to be his spokesman. So when we think of what God would do and how he would choose... Many times God doesn't do it the way we think he would do it. If you found your place in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I'm going to begin at verse 26 and go through chapter 2, verse 2. It says, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. 
and the base things of the world and the things that are despised God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. Verse 29 really sums it up. That no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ. Now let me say that again. But of him, almighty God, you are in Christ. Who became for us wisdom from God. And righteousness from God. And sanctification from God. And redemption from God. Now, I added in the from God on that, of course. It's not in the scripture. Verse 31, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Father, I pray this morning, Lord, as we examine your word, God, and oh my, what an awesome, wonderful truth. Lord, I pray that you remove every restraint of our mind and our spirit to receive the infallible word of God this morning. And Lord, that it becomes an inspiration in our heart and our spirit. And Lord, that we see ourselves in your word. And God, we understand that what you've done for others, you will do for us. We walk and talk and move in the authority and the power of Jesus Christ in this world today. God, may that become a revelation to us, Lord, as we unveil your scripture today, Lord. God, I pray for the anointing of the Spirit, Lord, to be upon me, Lord, and upon the hearer. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. I've titled the message today, God Uses Unlikely Instruments. And we see throughout history that God has repeated this over and over and over again. The people that we would choose, God doesn't necessarily choose. He uses very unlikely instruments to do his will. We're familiar with some of these examples. One of the probably examples that just automatically jumps to my mind when I think of God using an unlikely instrument is David. Because here's David, and he is out in the field watching the sheep, and Samuel is grieving over the fact that God has taken the kingdom away from King Saul, because he loved King Saul. And so he asked him in 1 Samuel chapter 16, how long are you going to grieve over Saul? Go get your horn and fill it with oil, go to the house of Jesse, and I'm going to show you who will be the next king. And so he goes to the house of Jesse, and in verse 6 of 1 Samuel chapter 16, it says, So it was when they came, and he's talking about the sons of Jesse, that he looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before me. Now Samuel is standing there, and here comes this big, strapping, tall, strong young man, the eldest in the family. They're like, Surely this has got to be the next king. Man, look at this guy, big chested man, muscles popping out. He's, this has got to be him. Verse 7 says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him. Now get this, for the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Aren't you glad of that? Sometimes we size people up and we think, man, God could really use that one or that one. And God says, no, I'm not going to use them. And then we look at some other just poor old beggar or something and say, God will never use that one. And that is exactly who he will use. Now, I just jumped a rabbit here. I've been listening online and I, I was telling the prayer group this morning, and you, you ought to sign up for audible books. It's awesome. It's, it costs you a little bit each month, but you can download a book and you put in there, somebody will read it to you. I love that. <laughs> and so I've been listening to the, to the um, autobiography of Reinhard Bunke. And he just, it's 25 hours of listening of him read his autobiography. And what an inspiring word that is. I would recommend everybody in the world to get that and listen to it. 
And he talked about this man that was a homeless man in rags came to him in one of his meetings and wanted to see him privately. And he normally doesn't do that, but he just felt the Holy Spirit say, it's all right. And the man opened his ragged old clothes and pulled out a bundle of money and gave it to him. He said, where did you get that? It's a German man. He's in Germany. He said, I saved it from, from uh, my government check. And my sons are both drunks. You can find them on any park bench in the park. Said, I, I don't want them to know that I have this because they'll just spend it on booze. Take this and use it to win souls in Africa. Because that's where Reinhard Bunke was called a minister. And over the years, he kept over and over giving him. The last time he went, he, he, had, he had saved 30,000 uh, marks. And he gave it to him. The bank didn't want to give him the money. Because they had a policy, you can't take out all your money to protect them from scammers and stuff. So he took out all of it but 20 marks. And you know what he said? I saved enough for my funeral. Now, we would look at that guy and think, God would never use somebody like that. But God doesn't look at the outward man. He looks at the heart. And what a heart that man had. Amen. So Jesse, he called Abinadab. He called Shammah. He called all seven of his sons. And then Samuel says, is this all of them? He says, oh, there's one more out in the field. He's a ruddy boy. He was, had a good-looking eye. He was a handsome little kid. He was nice tan body, you know. And he calls him in, and God said, this is the one that I have chosen. An unlikely instrument. <clears throat> Another story about, well, just the, the and I'm going to be talking about Reinhard Bunke periodically over the next few weeks. I hope you don't mind, because it is such an inspiring thing. When he was a little boy, he was such a, he was just stayed in trouble. He was failing in school. He was the least of his family. He had four older brothers. I think it was four older brothers and a younger sister. And they, they nicknamed him Null. Null in German means less than zero. His mother, all she ever said to him is, Reinhardt, you have disappointed me again. And they nicknamed even the parents. They let the others mock him. Says, you're noodle. You're nothing. You're less than nothing, Reinhardt. All you do is stay in trouble. You've got a mind of your own. But I checked the stats. And up to this present day, he's still ministering around the world and in Africa, primarily in Africa. For many years, they didn't register their converts. But since they've been registering the converts, they... Reinhard Bunker is responsible for 72 million souls won to the kingdom of God. This little troublemaker, failing in school, nul, nothing of a boy, was the unlikely instrument that God would use to turn the nation of Africa upside down. Before his, the Pentecostal organization in Germany would let him go into the mission field, he had to pastor for two years in a church. And so he finished Bible school and he went into the looking for a place to minister and he found a building that the bottom floor was empty and they were going to demolish it. But the top floor was a winery. And God said, this is where you will put your church. And so he started his church there and the first few years of his ministry was totally uneventful. But later on, he went into, when he finally made it to Africa, I'm fast forwarding, he finally made it to Africa He's, he, he, all he ever did was, and still to this day, preaches one message. He said, I only have one message disguised in many different disguises. I preach the ABCs of the gospel. All he preaches is Jesus Christ has come to save, seek and save that which is lost. That's it. For 50 years, he's been preaching that. No supernatural signs and wonders followed his ministry. But there was another evangelist in Africa who did have supernatural signs and wonders. Powerful healings following his ministry. So he invited him to come. He said, we will be a team. African and white man together. It will, it will bridge the racial barrier in Africa. It will be great. I will preach the gospel. You will pray for the sick. When they announced it, there were thousands and thousands of people showed up. Reinhardt preached. And the evangelist told him at the end of it, shut the meeting down. He said, we can't do that. These people have come to be prayed for. He said, you got to pray for them. He said, if we send them away, do you promise we can pray for them tomorrow? He said, yes, tell them they will be prayed for tomorrow. So he sent the crowd away and he said, tomorrow you come back and we will pray for the sick. 
The next day when it was time for the meeting, he goes to pick up the evangelist and he's putting his suitcases in the car. He said, what are you doing? He said, I'm leaving. He said, you can't leave. You promised to pray for the sick. He said, no, I promised the sick that they would be prayed for. God has told me to leave. You pray for the sick. Reinhardt had not prayed for the sick at that point. He, all he did was preach the gospel. He came in and there was a sea of people as far as you could see. And he stood up and said, the evangelist that was going to pray for you today has left. But I am here. But most importantly, Jesus is here. Always he believes as I do that the power is not in supernatural signs and wonders. The power is in the gospel itself. He preached the gospel and then he said, all those that are sick stand to your feet. In the mighty name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, blind eyes see in Jesus' name. And when he did, people started screaming across the sea of people. I can see. I can see. Cancers disappear. Lame walk. And from that day forward, for the past 50 years, every time he holds a meeting, these events take place. A very unlikely instrument. In February the 18th of 1984, he received a prophecy. You will see millions come to Jesus Christ in a single service. Million. A million people will come to Jesus Christ in one service. Sixteen years later, on November the 1st in the year 2000, in the meeting they called the Great Millennial Crusade in Nagos, Nigeria, the largest country in Africa, they had acquired an area that would accommodate two million attendees. They had trained 2,000 follow-up workers. They had spent $1.2 million on follow-up material. They had 2,000 ushers and 1,000 police to, have to control the crowd. On the first night, 700,000 people showed up. On the second night, a million people showed up. By the last night, the sixth night of the week, 1,600,000 people was assembled in front of the stage as Ron Hot Bunky stood up on the stage. That night, they registered 1,093,000 registered converts in a country that is predominantly Muslim. The Muslim people are coming to Jesus in the hordes. You don't see that on the news. But I'm going to tell you what. Jesus can take somebody that we would overlook and do miraculous things with them. Are you hearing me, church? A total of 6 million people attended in six nights. And by the end of that crusade, they had registered 3,461,171 souls brought into the kingdom of God. In 1988, he preached in uh, uh, Yahura Park in Nairobi. And there was a lady came there. Her name was um, Teresia uh, Valimu. Teresia Lavimu was a young Christian girl. And she wanted to go into the ministry, so she married a man that had been called to pastor a church. Young ladies, let me tell you something. Don't marry somebody by looking at their outside or looking at their resume. Guys, you too. What I would encourage you to do if you're single in here today is you get on your knees before God and tell him to bring your mate to you. Because only after a few years, this man abandoned God, he abandoned his ministry, and he abandoned her and her child. Now she is a divorced woman, and she comes to the meeting in Harua Park, Nairobi, and she was weeping, broken woman. And she stood before the altar, and she said, God, if you can give a thousand souls to Reinhard Bunke, surely you can give a hundred souls to me. And she went back and began to minister to other women she uh, became a, a, a discipler, she, a one-on-one discipleship. Eight years would pass before she would see Reinhard Bunke again. The last six years, she followed his itinerant, and she wanted to find a meeting that he would be in where she could get him to actually lay hands on her and pray for her. Because she believed that if I can get him to pray for me, God will anoint me to preach the gospel to the lost. Reinhard Bunke said, there is nothing in the laying on of anyone's hands but just hands. But it's like the woman that had the issue of blood that believed if she could touch the hem of Jesus' garment, she would be made whole. And because of that faith, when she touched his garment, listen, it was just a piece of cloth. 
There was nothing divine about the garment that Jesus wore. But it was a point of contact. She believed it, and as soon as she touched it, healing came into her body. And so she found out that he was going to be in Oslo, Norway, preaching at a church. She said, surely I can get close enough to have him pray for me. And she had friends there. So she called him, booked a flight, flew there, got to the church early and sat on the front row. Reinhardt said you could pick her out of the crowd because she was dressed in her full Nairobi tribal attire. And she looked like an ocean of, uh, an island of color in an ocean of gray. And she sat there trembling through the whole service with anticipation. She said, when he calls to pray for the sick, my soul is sick. I'm going to have him pray for me. And so when he gave an altar call for people to be saved, she jumped up not realizing what he said because she didn't even hear the sermon that he preached. She quickly sat back down and finally he said, if you're sick, come to the front. I want to pray for you. She ran to the front. And when he touched her, she propelled 20 yards backwards onto the floor. Her shoe, it knocked her literally out of her shoes. The power of God was so strong It knocked her completely out of her shoes. Her shoes went flipping up into the air into the audience. One of them was never returned. He said, I think somebody must have kept it for a souvenir. At the end of the service, all she could remember, she didn't even know he touched her. She had her eyes closed. Said all she could remember was hearing him say, miracles are taking place in this this church. Miracles are happening. They picked her up, had to carry her to the car, carried her in the house, and deposited her into the bed. When she went back to to Kenya, to Nairobi, she called her friends together, the ladies that she had been ministering to on Friday nights, and 17 showed up. But this time she didn't say, those of you that are sick, I want to pray for you. Lord, heal them if it be your will. No, this time she spoke in the authority of the Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, I command cancer to be gone. In the name of Jesus, I command eyes to be opened. I demand ears to be opened in Jesus' name. Now, bear in mind that when Reinhardt prays, not everyone is healed, but many are. Immediately, signs and wonders begin to follow her ministry. The next Friday night, 55 showed up. The next Friday, 105 showed up. The following Friday, 200 showed up. The following Friday, she acquired the the local school that would hold 2,000 and 4,000 showed up. So she moved to a convention center that would hold 5,000 and 12,000 showed up. The local pastors began to renounce her because she was a divorced woman. Church, we look at the outside. Are you hearing me, church? Sometimes we need to just, we need just to recheck ourselves and say, God, you look at the heart. Help me to see, and I've prayed this many times, God, help me see beyond the outer shell, beyond the look on their face, and see their heart. She didn't retaliate. People still be, kept coming. Finally, she asked if she, she went to the, the officials and said, can I use the Harura Park where Reinhardt Bunky preached? Where she stood before the altar and said, God, if you can give Reinhardt a thousand souls, surely you can give me a hundred. And for the the first Sunday of every month since then, she has held services. Men and women both came. And she is known throughout all of Kenya and across Africa. A divorced, broken woman. Reinhardt said he asked God, said, God, why would you use a divorced woman? We have such wonderful people in our Bible college. And said, God said, I used her. Because I wanted to make an example that I can take any broken vessel and bring great glory and honor to it. Church, God uses unlikely instruments. Just like her. We know the story of Gideon. Gideon was an unlikely instrument. It says in Judges chapter 6 verse 14. And the Lord looked upon him and said unto him, Go in thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent thee? Now, remember, God doesn't look at the outside. He looks at the heart. Because here is Gideon. He's hiding in a wine press. Threshing wheat. You don't thresh wheat in a wine press. You thresh wheat up on top of a hill. You beat the wheat out. You knock the husk off of it. You throw it into the air so the wind will carry the chaff away. But he's down inside of a wine press hiding. 
because he's afraid that the Midianites are going to come and take his stuff. And so he's not a mighty. When God addressed him, he said, you are a mighty man of valor. And now he tells him, go in your might. He doesn't look like a mighty man. He looks like a coward. He's hiding out. Then he says, go in thy might, and thou shalt save Israel, for the hand of the Midianites have not sent thee. Verse 15, he said unto him, O my Lord, where shall I, how shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. When we look at Gideon, not only was he of the, one of the poorest families in all of Manasseh, but even in his own family, he was the least of all of them. But he was the very one that God chose to deliver the children of Israel from the Midianites. See, he says what we say many times. Not me, God. I know you want to use me. I know you'd like to use me. But I really don't believe you will use me. You'll use many other people, but not me. Because this is a commonly shared attitude in humanity. We think that way of ourselves. He assembled the tribes of Israel, 32,000, which only made up one-sixth of the number in the Midianite army. And God said to him, there's too many of you. Tell those that are afraid to go home. And he told them, and half the army went home. He said, there's still too many. Take him down to the brook. Those that dip water with their hand, keep them. Those that get down and lick water like a dog, send them home. When he finished, there were 300 And he used 300 men and Gideon to deliver the army of Israel. Even the way he did it was using unlikely instruments. Because he used a clay pot, a lamp, and a trumpet. The clay pot. Look at your neighbor. Say, neighbor, you're just a clay pot. Isn't that true? The Bible says we're an earthen vessel. From dust you came to dust you returned. You're just a pile of dirt. Amen? Come on. And he used the lamp. Now, this this wasn't an LED 2 million candle power spotlight. It was just a little flickering lamp. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, you're a little dim. And he used a trumpet. Look at your neighbor. You make a lot of noise. (laughs) But look to your neighbor and say, neighbor, God can use all those things. Amen. You're just a clay pot. You might be a little dim. You might make a lot of noise. But it's things just like that that God chooses to use. Because they surrounded the Midianite army and God told him, says, on your signal, everybody break their pots Blow your trumpets and shout, the armies of God and the armies of Gideon. And when they did, the Midianites saw themselves surrounded with these lamps and thought there was a great host of coming upon them. And they each drew their sword and killed anything close to them. And so they started killing each other. You have to kind of like put yourself there. I'm holding this lamp, tooting the horn, and I'm looking, and all these people start killing each other. I'm like, Wow. Wouldn't that be something? We see this repeated throughout the book of Judges. Shamgar used an ox goad to kill 600, 600 Philistines. An ox goad. It's just a, remember God told Paul, says, Paul, it's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. It's, it's the goad. It's, it was just a stick that they would use to guide the ox and poke the ox. He used that stick, this unlikely instrument, as a weapon of war. J.L. used a nail and a hammer. Because Deborah, is the, she's the judge of Israel. And she was going into battle against Sisera. And she, she was sent her, Barak, her general, and said, Barak, go. And he says, if you don't go, I will not go. So she went with him. Sisera, the general of the Canaanite army, of Jablin's army, he ran out of the midst undiscovered and went and hid himself. And so he comes to the tent of Jael, this woman, and went inside. And he, he said, stand at the door. And if any man comes, say, there's no one here. She said, sure, lay down. He said, give me water. I'm thirsty. So she gave him a jug of milk. 
And he drank it, and he, he lays down, goes to sleep. She goes over and gets a tent peg and a hammer and drives it through the temple of his head into the ground. An unlikely weapon. I've never seen any army walking around with a hammer and a nail going into battle. Amen. God doesn't use things the way we use them. We see Samson take the jawbone of a donkey and kill a thousand Philistines. We see a lady on a wall dropping a millstone on the head of Abimelech. The wicked king of Jerusalem, she was the instrument, an unnamed woman, that God would use to kill this wicked Jewish king. So these things, when we, when we see these things, we see that God many times uses unlikely instruments to fulfill his will. Now I want to look at five things real quick that these things have in common. And they're important that we see this this morning. <clears throat> Number one, they were all inanimate objects. There's no life in any of them, a clay pot, a torch, a trumpet, a millstone, a ox goad, a hammer, a nail, just inanimate objects. Number two, none were used for their obvious purpose. Church, we can never say what God would use or whom God would use to fulfill his purpose. He used fishermen. He used zealots. He did use some Pharisees. We just don't know. Number three, none of them were weapons. When we look, look at ourselves, we're like, I'm not qualified. You know, I'm not smart enough. I'm not strong enough or educated enough. I'm not old enough or I'm too old. We find all of these reasons, I'm not the right weapon. And many times we look at each other and say, he's not the right weapon or she's not the right weapon. Because we're looking at the outside. God's looking at the heart. Number four, each one furthered God's purpose. See, it wasn't about the instrument. It's about God's glory and his purpose. Number five, none were ever used that way again. As far as we know, we don't see it in biblical history that any of those things were ever used that way again. <clears throat> The, in other words, these didn't become the preferred weapons of the Israelite army. <laughs> you know, they didn't take an ox goat and go hang it up on the rack in the house. And when they blew the trumpet and everybody comes to war, the guy grabs his stick and goes running out <laughs> with his ox goat. The guy's hit, no, man, here, take this sword, take this, this, this spear. He's like, no, I'm an ox goat man myself. <laughs> right? <laughs> they didn't use these things. Didn't grab a hammer and a nail. <laughs> I'll nail him. You know, I wonder if that's where that came from. He got nailed. He nailed him. Uh, as far as I know, not, a woman has never nailed her husband or, or man's head to the ground yet. Someone sitting there with a husband as a jerk, she's saying, yeah, not yet. <laughs> we don't know that they've ever used a millstone as a weapon again. He gave a new minute that he got stoned, you know. Yeah, he died. He went and got stoned. Rocked him to sleep. Yeah. My dad used to say, that, rock him to sleep. If that don't work, get a bigger rock. See, this is one of God's problems with the manifestation gifts. Because sometimes God will use these things and all of a sudden, ta-da! It becomes all about the instrument. It all becomes about the instrument. God used me with a word of knowledge. Ta-ta. I operate in the gifts of the Spirit. I have words of knowledge. I have words of wisdom. I have tongues, interpretation, and prophecy, and healings, and miracles. And it becomes all about the instrument. Give you an example. I heard this example one time, best I ever heard. God speaks to this lady, says the lady next door is really going to a hard time. I want you to make a fruitcake and take it to the lady on the right. So she hears the voice of the Lord. She goes in, and it's a lot of hard work making a fruitcake, you know. She bakes this fruitcake. She goes to the lady on the right. She knocks on the door. The lady comes to the door, and she's still in her nightgown, a deep depression. She said, God spoke to me and told me to break you this fruitcake. The lady says, oh, 
Oh, I've been going through a hard time, and I just wanted to know that God still loved me, and you've done this thing. And she fell to her knees, and she just got her heart right and got filled with the Holy Ghost, and slain the Spirit and everything else. And all of a sudden, this lady said, I have discovered my calling. She goes out and takes a 50C3, tax-exempt status, and gets Fruitcake Ministries Incorporated. Then God says, now I want you to bake a pan of chocolate chip cookies and take it to the lady on the left. And she says, oh, no, Lord. I'm in the fruitcake ministry. And so God says, all I wanted to do was bless the lady on the left and the right, and I have launched another ministry. And church, I'm here to tell you this morning, there are fruitcake ministries all over the place because of this. Are you hearing me, church? Because it's not about the instrument. It's about the purpose of God. And sometimes he uses us and sometimes he doesn't use us like that ever again. And we have to be okay with that. Amen? Sometimes he may use you over and over, but sometimes he may not. He uses unlikely instruments. Catherine Kuhlman one time was asked, Why do you think God called you a woman to do these great healing miracles that you do? And she said, I don't know. Perhaps he asked others. And they said no. And she gave this example I will never forget. She said, if you're on a stool and you're trying to drive a nail into the wall to hang a picture and you can't reach the hammer, what do you do? She said, I take off my shoe and I use the heel. She said, I am thankful to be God's heel. The heel of God's shoe. And she says, that's all I am. I'm just the heel of his shoe. So we have to understand that this is the way God works. I mean, after all, what was the name of the donkey that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on? It wasn't about the donkey. But just imagine now, Jesus is riding in, they're throwing down the coats, they're waving the prom benches, saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. If that donkey had looked up and said, boy, they really love us. All right. It wasn't about the donkey, it's about Jesus and his glory. God uses unlikely instruments. And when he does, each one remains itself. That's what we need to see. Last week I told you God wants to use you, you doing supernatural things naturally. It is a natural, supernatural use. We don't have to go get us a fruitcake ministry sign and hang it up if God uses us. No, we're still just a clay pot or a lamp or an ox goat or a trumpet. The jawbone of a donkey or a hammer or a nail. These, these instruments didn't suddenly turn into transformers. <laughs> you know, that stick didn't start to go, ninja ox goad. No, it was still just a stick when he got through with it. Amen. Neither did they say, not me. God, you could use a sword. You could use a spear. You could use a howitzer, but you could never use me, just an ordinary old ox goad or a clay pot or a trumpet. They did not come short of accomplishing God's purpose when they were chosen. And when God chooses an unlikely instrument, that instrument can do the impossible. Did you hear me, church? Don't fade on me. When God chooses an unlikely instrument, then it can do the impossible. Do you believe that? Do we really believe that? God, when you choose an unlikely instrument, you can do the impossible. Now, how does this relate to Paul's letter? In, first Corinthians, in, in, in Corinthians, Paul, he, he dealt with his own issues. Because I believe that Paul, he had the propensity, and he recognized this. He had the propensity to focus on his own ability, on the instrument himself. Because he was educated under Gamaliel. This guy was one of the smartest men among all the Pharisees. And when he says, not many wise, he didn't say not 
any wise are chosen because God does choose some very sharp, educated, motivated, and, uh, and well-established people. He does. But what I'm finding is that is more the exception than the rule. And he did choose Paul, but Paul had the propensity to, to focus on the instrument and be lifted up with pride. That's why he said in 2 Corinthians 12, he said, It is doubtless, verse 1, it is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows. Such a one was caught up into the third heaven. And he, and he goes on talking about the things that he saw, that it's not even legal for me to tell you what I saw. And he was speaking of himself in third person. I was caught up into the third. I was caught up into heaven. Not just the second heaven, but the third heaven. Would that give you a tendency to think, I'm a little bit different than everybody else. How many in here has been to the third heaven? But I have been there. See, this was something he had to deal with. Highly educated. Very accomplished. And now God is giving him great revelation. Verse 6, he says, for though I might desire to boast. See, there was something in him. I'd love to brag about this. And he recognized this. He said, but I will not be a fool. For I will speak the truth, but I refrain. Lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears of me. In other words, I'm not putting up a fruitcake ministry sign. I'm just, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. <laughs> Verse 7, he says, And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelation, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning these things, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for you. For my strength, oh, Get this, church. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities or my weaknesses that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I appreciate so much the humility of men that have done great things in the Lord, but you would never know it because they don't brag about it. They may give testimony, but they always are careful to give the glory to Jesus Christ. Because they, like myself, know, brother, there's nothing I could do if it were not for the power of Jesus Christ. Those who really, really know me know that I can never get here and do what I do if it weren't for God. It is completely God. Because I, I, I guess maybe I'm enjoying this so much because I relate so much to his childhood. Because I was the biggest troublemaker ever. I got more spankings than both of my brothers combined. Probably to the 10th power. <laughs> I remember one Sunday I was in church and mama got me up and headed out the back door. And Preacher King, he stopped and she got the back door and said, Now, Abby, don't you hurt that boy. They said the whole church could hear them licks. Wacka, wacka. <laughs> I'd go home. I'd get up in their face, and I'd be doing their face like this. I said, Mama, I was your pretty boy in church today because I knew what was coming, brother, because I had been a little monster, and I was going to get it when I got on, and I did too, brother. Hey, it worked. Come on now. The Bible is true, isn't it? Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. The rod of correction will drive it far, far from him. Amen. Mom and dad took God's word and beat the devil out of me, brother. I'm going to tell you, it worked. What he's saying is, Paul, if you hang out your fruitcake sign, the power is gone. He said, I'm going to refrain so that the power of God will be in my life. Because God resists the proud. But he gives grace to those that are humble. You see, before he came to Corinth, he had just visited Mars Hills in Athens, where all the great philosophers and, and, and the most brilliant minds of the world, that known world, assembled there to exchange uh, uh, thoughts and, and 
in uh, philosophies and things that he had learned. And so Paul, some, some Bible theologians believe that he tried to impress them. Now, I don't know that I totally agree with that, but he tried to impress them. You remember when he stood in, on, on Mars Hill, he said, in him we live and move and have our being. That really wasn't an original quote. He was quoting a pagan, ancient pagan poet. Because he goes on to say, in him we live and move and have our being as your own poets have said. And so he's trying to impress them that I'm, I'm a great thinker myself. I'm very intelligent. Now, whether that's true or not, I don't know. But he could have very well been tempted to do that because he was as educated as they were. Being educated in Gamaliel's school. So that's why he said back to the opening passage, he says, For when you, you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise and the weak things of the world. He chooses the base things of the world. That means the ignoble, people of low birth, people that are nul, they're less than nothing, base people. That's who he chooses. To confound the wise. And God has chosen the things which are not to bring to flesh the, the, to nothing the things that are. And the reason is, verse 29, that no flesh should glory in his presence. That's why he does this. Because if God uses you, and he does want to use you, he can use you. And church, what I believe this morning the Lord is saying is, I'm going to use you. I'm going to use you. I will, and I'm going to. And when he does, what God wants us to see is don't go make a hand-painted fruitcake sign and hang it up. But just say, as Paul did, I refrain from boasting that all glory will be given to him. Where he says in verse 31, as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. And I, brethren, when I came, did not come with excellence of speech of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. As I'm listening to this autobiography of Reinhard Bunke, he had another prophecy that you will sit before kings. A number of the countries that he has gone into, they have literally had to run for their lives. One country, I was in actually in Nairobi, where he had the great millennial crusade and a record number of people coming to Christ. His first trip there, radical Islamic groups rose up and rioted in the streets and killed hundreds of people. His critics back in Germany said that his, his uh, ego has caused the death of these people. Because he had a motto, a blood-washed Africa, talking about the blood of Jesus. He said he has given the name, the blood-washed Africa, a whole new meaning. And they blamed him, although it was not his fault. The next time that he went there, he was flown there in the equivalent of Air Force One. The king's personal jet flew him there. And they brought him into the king's palace. And he was treated like royalty. And when he was there, the Holy Spirit said, preach the gospel. And so he began to go through the ABCs of the gospel. And he would also always say, how many of you would like to receive Jesus Christ? And many of the cabinet of the king's uh, Muslims now. Raise their hand to receive Christ. Because he said, he, 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 he said, the Lord said, give an altar call. The first time this happened, because he's been in, associated with quite a few of the kings over there. And he said, the first time this happened, said the Lord said, give an altar call. He said, Lord, an altar call here? And he said, the Lord said, choose altar call above protocol. And so each time people have come to Christ. So this morning, I'm going to ask you if you would just bow your head, please. And I'd like to ask you the question that I did not ask you last week. And I want you to think about this.
How many of you believe that God can and he will use you to do mighty things in the power of the Holy Spirit? Do you really believe that? I want you to raise your hand. Praise God. Hands all over the sanctuary. You can put them down. Instead of saying no, I want you to say, I might be a nul. I might just be an ox goat or a nail or a clay pot. I might be dim or noisy. I might be the poorest in Manasseh and the least of my father's house. But this morning, Lord, I want to say to you that whatever I am, great or small, I'm available. I know, God, that with you, I can win any battle. Because, church, I can tell you this morning, there may be, some of you say, well, there's thousands of people that God could use that's better than me. I'd like to dispel that concept, that notion. There are millions of people that God could use that's better than you. There's millions that God could use that's better than me. But they are not here saying, Lord, here I am. I'm available, God. I may not be much, but whatever I am, use me. Use me anywhere, any way you want to, God. I don't have to be the star. It's not about me. It's about you. And God, I trust the Holy Spirit to empower me to do anything that you choose. So I'm going to ask you this morning. If you will say this morning, I may be unlikely, Lord, but I'm available. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand again. With your hand raised, I want you to repeat this after me. Some may say that I'm null. Repeat that, please. But you don't see me as man sees me. You look at the heart. And my heart says, I am available to you. Put your hand down. I'm going to ask you another question. Well, then you say... God, you can use me anywhere and any way that you choose. If you sincerely mean that, I want you to raise your hand. Repeat this after me. Lord, use me in the battle anywhere and any way. Even if you never use me that way again. Take your hands down. I want to ask you another question. Will you say, Lord, I don't have to be the star. I'm not in it for the glory. Would you raise your hand? Repeat this after me, please. Lord, I don't have to be the star. I'm willing for someone else to get the applause. And for Jesus to get the glory. Put your hand down. I'll ask you another. Would you say, Lord, I trust the power of the Holy Spirit to use this unlikely instrument? If you sincerely mean that, would you raise your hand? Repeat this after me. Lord, I ask you to empower this unlikely instrument to do the impossible. If or when you call me. Then I'd like, you can put your hand down. I'd like for us to say at the end of it all, I determined that I know nothing else save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. If you mean that, would you stand with me, please?
Lord, we have made a commitment before you today, God. And it was words just spoken out into the spirit realm. But God, they are words that are recorded in the annuals of history in the books in heaven. And Lord, one day when we stand before your throne and those books are opened, you will read the recording of the pledge and the commitment that we have made here this morning, Lord. Father, I pray that you will empower, God, each person that has made a covenant with you today. And God, in the days ahead, we are going to see an outpouring of your Spirit in Central Virginia. And Lord, as the Holy Spirit moves upon us, God, that we will clearly hear and understand the direction that you are telling us to go. And Father, even the one in this congregation today, Lord, or those that's hearing this message, that feel like they are the least of the least. Lord, they're like Tericia, who felt like she was broken and her soul was sick. That God, when you empower an unlikely instrument, then Lord, that instrument can be used, God, to do the impossible. And Father, even those that are here, God, that feel like they are the least, Lord, that they're nul, they're less than zero, that God, you will guide them and direct them, Lord, and they will hear a powerful voice of the Spirit that will drive them forward, Lord, and give them faith and boldness to stand and do things that they never thought possible. Lord, you have done this throughout history. And I cannot believe, God, that you have come to the end of that here in Virginia, Lord. I believe that you want to do things, Lord, that is supernatural. Things that are impossible in our eyes. And Father, we have said to you this morning, Lord, we're available. God, take us and use us anywhere, any way that you choose. But Lord, I perceive in the Spirit this morning that there may be some here today, God, that don't even know you. They've never really made a commitment to you, God. They've never given their life to you. And Lord, today I pledge that we will not close another service without offering a person an opportunity to know Jesus Christ as their own personal Savior and Lord. With that, I'd like to ask, is there anybody here that you've never asked Jesus Christ to come into your life? You've never given your life to the Lord to serve Him. Today, the Holy Spirit is here to move on your heart, to change you, to make you a brand new person. The blood of Jesus Christ will wash away all sin that you've ever committed and make you brand new again. If you're here this morning, you've never trusted Jesus, and you'd like to do that now, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. I'd like to pray for you. Is there anyone? Maybe you're here this morning, and the walk that you've had with the Lord, you've turned from, you've walked away from God, and you know that you're not where you used to be with Jesus. But today you've been convicted in your spirit and you want to come back to the Lord and recommit your life to Christ. If you're here today and you'd like to commit your life to Christ, brand new again, would you raise your hand and say, that's me. I'm not serving God like I used to and like I want to. And today I want to commit my life to Christ again. Would you raise your hand? I promise I will not embarrass you. It's between you and the Lord. All eyes closed, every head bowed. Father God, we thank you for our time together, Lord. We thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit. God, we thank you for the power that is in the name of Jesus Christ. God, we thank you that you're the same today, yesterday, and forever. God, we thank you that you would look down and choose somebody that is just a null. You would use us to do things we never thought we could do. Lord, I ask that you open opportunities to us this week, Lord. 
to minister to a dying world, God, a world that is lost and undone without Jesus Christ. Father, may you put a heart of compassion in each of us to see that we have something that the world desperately needs to recognize the value of it, Lord, and give us the willingness to share it, the boldness to do that. Now, I ask these things in the name of Jesus, the mighty Son of God. As we go from this place, Lord, pray that you watch over the body of Christ, Lord. Give us a refreshing, Lord. Give us favor, Lord, and a great and abundant harvest of souls in your name. Lord, I bless the body of Christ this morning. I bless their home. Father, I pray that it will be a refuge, God, a place where they can escape from the world and a place where the presence of God will rest. Make it a place that is pure and clean of the filth of the world, Lord. Strengthen families today, Lord. Draw them close together. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you, church. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope you are blessed and encouraged by it. Central Virginia Assembly of God is located on 5052 Cross County Road, Mineral, Virginia, 23117. If you would like more information about the church, visit us at centralvaag.org or call 804-514-2413. We would love to hear from you. God bless.